This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And in this episode, we also have Dinosaur of the Day, Barapasaurus. We have a bunch of dinosaur news. And we'd especially like to thank some of our Stegosaurus patrons, specifically Kyle, Brendan, the Tolbert family, and Sean Tanagaki. And if you're interested in joining our community on Patreon, head over to patreon.com slash I Know Dino. We're so close to sending people stickers. We are super close. Maybe by the time this airs, stickers will be sent. I don't know. I don't it's hard think to so, say. but that would be cool. <laughs> One can hope. <laughs> <laughs> so jumping right into the news, last week I mentioned some track sites near Broome, Australia, in Western Australia, and I said how I was surprised that no one had digitally mapped them because I'm all about digitally mapping things so that we can have them forever and people can access them all over the world. And since last week, an article was published that they digitally mapped all those fossils. <laughs> it's like they heard you. Almost, except they started five years ago. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks to Stuart for sharing a Washington Post article with us. And it had a really nice video about the project. And there was also a 153-page article put out in the Journal of Vertebrate Paleontology about the tracks. Nice and concise. <laughs> yeah. There was a much shorter paper in Pure J that it seems like most people are referencing. And I read the entirety of that one. I did not read the entirety of the Journal of Vertebrate Paleontology article. Yeah, it's pretty much a book. It, yeah, I was thinking that, and it's very thorough. So if you're interested in Australian dinosaur footprints, that might be pretty much the only article you need to read, <laughs> at least from this area. But I'll get into that. So the author spent about five years working on a 25-kilometer or 15-mile-long coastline, which is north of Broome. I think they're actually in a slightly different area than the tracks I talked about last week because there are just tracks all over this part of Western Australia. So this 25 kilometer section isn't even all of them from what I gather. And they mapped out 48 individual track sites among that huge area. And they say that previous attempts to map in that area failed because the tracks are really remote. Most of the tracks are covered by the tide. And then there's also a massive scale of all the sites. You know, there are 48 of them spread over all this distance. It's really difficult to get your head around where all the tracks are and kind of mapping it all consistently. So they use several techniques. 
For one, they used manned and unmanned aircraft, so drones as well as airplanes. They also used high-res LIDAR with a handheld scanner, and they did handheld photography. And this allowed for detailed views of individual tracks for ichnology, which again is kind of the study of fossils that aren't the actual organism, like coprolite or tracks. And you can look at the prints and kind of see how quickly they were moving or if they were crouching and things like that. So you want a nice detailed print for something like that. And then the broad overviews that they could get from, say, like the manned aircraft gave a really good way to look at multiple track sites at once for kind of geological context. So all of that is wrapped up in this paper. It's very in-depth, 48 track sites, all that stuff. On top of that, it includes 21 species, which is what they are calling the most diverse set of dinosaur footprints in the world. It includes four ornithopods, six thyreophorans, which are stegosaurs and ankylosaurs, including the first evidence of a stegosaur in Australia, five different theropods, and about six different sauropods. And within those, there were six prints that are brand new ichnotaxa, or types of footprints we've never seen anywhere before. And there's one or two from each of those types of dinosaur. That's cool, because I remember we talk about Australian dinosaurs and how we don't know about that many. It seems like there's only a handful, so yeah. this definitely adds to it. Yeah, and especially in Western Australia, they have found some fossils and footprints and things in you know, New South Wales, the whole eastern part of the country, but those are actually from a later time, and these are from the early Cretaceous, about 130 to 140 million years ago. And before that, we had never even seen that period in Australia before, or really much of anything on this half of the continent. The other really cool thing about it is that one of the sauropod prints is the largest known dinosaur print ever found. And it's 175 by 140 centimeters, or about 5 foot 9 inches by 4 foot 7 inches, which is pretty huge. There's a, Bigger than me. Yeah, there's a guy laying down next to it in one of the pictures, and it's basically as tall as him. And it's almost a square. It's almost as wide as it is long. So that's pretty enormous. And it's crazy that they found all these different species. The largest print, you know, it's such a huge, long piece of coastline, all in the same spot. Another thing that I thought was really fun about it was they talked a little bit about the history of the prints in the area and how indigenous people had explained these prints. They had noticed them basically thousands of years ago and had stories to go along with how they were made. Hmm. And some of the theropod prints they attributed to Marala, also known as the emu man. And nice. Yeah. They describe him as a lawgiver who created a code of conduct and I guess he's so big. Yeah. He can, he can lay down the law. Yeah, exactly. And he had huge feet. And, you know, if you think about it, a theropod foot looks just like an emu foot. They're that tridactyl kind of print. Oh, man, an emu that size. <laughs> Be a <any> big emu. <laughs> so I thought that was really cool. People have asked before, you know, what ancient societies basically thought about dinosaur fossils and dinosaur prints. So here's a good case study from Australia. I wonder if anyone still knows those stories. Yeah, there are still people in those tribes that keep the the legends alive and, you know, 
I'm not sure if they still practice a religion based on it or not. They talk about it some in the super long article. I didn't read it really closely, just enough to get a a feel for the emu man. Because <laughs> I thought that was the coolest part. And the other cool thing that they did, aside from doing all the photogrammetry of the prints, is they also took peels of the prints where they put in like silicone and then they peel out a chunk of it to get basically an exact replica of the print and they said that they're going to put them in the west australian museum and i think they're talking about the new museum that's going to open in 2020 because there's a west australian museum in perth that closed like a year or two ago and they're going to reopen a big fancier version so that'd be cool if it was all filled up with these awesome dinosaur prints yeah or emu man prints yeah (laughs) really cool so tons of new discoveries from one article. (laughs) In other new dinosaur news, there's an abelosaurid from the late Cretaceous that was just discovered in Morocco, and the new dinosaur is called Chinonosaurus barbaricus, and I think it's Chinonosaurus. I'm not sure. I think that's an Arabic word, but I'm not positive because it's named after the Sidi Chinon phosphate mines where it was found. And this new dinosaur was described in Cretaceous Research. Barbaricus also refers to the Barbary Coast, which is an old term that used to refer to Morocco and other parts of Africa and Southwest Europe. I'm not sure why they wanted to name a dinosaur after it, but there you go. They only found a partial lower left jaw with a few teeth and a few partial teeth in it. So it's not a real great specimen, but... It is believed to be an abelosaurid, you could think of Carnotaurus, and it's estimated to be about 7 or 8 meters long, which is similar to Carnotaurus. But Chinonosaurus might be from a different abelosaurid branch than Carnotaurus is, and that's because it seems like it's got a few characteristics that are more like an early or basal abelosaurid, and then it has other features like Carnotaurus. So, for instance, Chinonosaurus has a really deep and short jaw like Carnotaurus does. And that might mean that it used that kind of hatchet style attack where it had a strong neck and it would kind of slam its skull down onto, say, a big Titanosaur to try to eat it. Since I said Titanosaur, you could probably guess it's from the late Cretaceous. (laughs) (laughs) And they referred to it as the latest Cretaceous, which I like because... Right up to the end. Yeah, exactly. Just like T-Rex right at about 66 million years ago. After reading this article, I was really thinking, man, we really need more African paleontologists because there are so many cool things, especially Morocco and some of the other more arid parts of Africa where people are just finding dinosaur fossils all the time, but there are so few people looking. Yeah. Well, that's where Spinosaurus is from, right? Yep. And they went back, remember, and they pretty quickly found more Spinosaurus. It was like they're After just... After like 50 years of Nobody nothing. looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. And in other dinosaur print news, I didn't want to follow the first crazy, huge dinosaur print news with this one because it would sound kind of unimpressive by comparison. But <laughs> <laughs> there's an article in Geosciences that looked at Ubrontes tracks in Massachusetts And you might remember Eubrontes because they're a very common theropod track. And in fact, they're the state fossil of Connecticut and Massachusetts. I think we mentioned back when we were talking about dinosaur state fossils. 
and they're possibly Dilophosaurus or a basal sauropodomorph dinosaur track. Not really sure which, and there's been some debate back and forth. So these researchers were attempting to look for possible gregarious behavior, which is kind of expected in sauropods, but not so much in Dilophosaurus-type dinosaurs. And previously, people have noted that some of the tracks are parallel in these Eubrontes track sites in the Northeast U.S. So the authors took a closer look at these specific tracks in Massachusetts, and they now believe that the dinosaurs were walking along a lake shore and not in a big group. So based on the way the prints are laid out, and then also on the specific geology of the individual prints, it looks like they were walking at different times and not in a big group. So they're proposing that basically the dinosaurs wanted to walk in a certain path, but the lake was kind of in the way, so they all ended up just kind of walking around the edge of the lake. And so if you look at that later, it looks like they're all walking together, but really they're all just walking around the same obstacle. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a really good example of how hard it is to look for behavior in fossils because there are so many things that you know kind of correlate without being causation like we've talked about how there's a little disagreement about whether or not raptor dinosaurs hunted together because they've been found in groups buried together a few times but that doesn't necessarily mean anything about how they got into that group yeah so maybe there just happened to be food there. Yeah. Or maybe they all got buried by something or, you know, who knows what happened or they all got drawn there. It's, it's really hard to say. But in this case, the researchers are saying that the fact that it looks like all these dinosaurs were just going around an obstacle and aren't exhibiting gregarious, you know, group behavior, they're less likely to be a sauropodomorph and more likely to be something like a older theropod. So sauropodomorphs were more likely to be gregarious? Yeah, like when we talked to Bruce and he mentioned Dinosaur Lake and all the sauropods walking together because it didn't look like they were walking just around an obstacle. They were kind of all walking in parallel in the same time frame. That's nice. Yeah, <laughs> I thought you'd like that. <laughs> so maybe these Eubrontes tracks are Dilophosaurus. I think that's the one that seems to make the most sense. Just kind of random patterns of medium-sized theropod from the Jurassic. Mm -hmm. Seems like a good fit. And we have another new titanosaur from Argentina. Yes. I know everyone's always surprised when we find a new titanosaur in Argentina. <laughs> Feels like every other week there's a new titanosaur from Argentina. <laughs> this one goes by MACNPVRN233. That rolls right off the tongue. It does. You can clearly share that name with your friends. Yeah. It's closely related to Saltosaurus, and we covered Saltosaurus a few months ago. It was a relatively small sauropod, and it was the first sauropod that was found with osteoderms, which is why I like it. They found eight tail vertebrae and six osteoderms of MACNPVRN233, <laughs> <laughs> and they decided not to name a new species quote, for the sake of taxonomic stability, end quote. There was a session at SVP talking about it's so hard to know with all the sauropods and titanosaurs because it's just one fossil sometimes. Yeah. I really do appreciate that they didn't give it a name because like Sabrina says, there are just a ton of titanosaur species. And a lot of times 
you know so little about them. It's just like a few teeth or like one bone. And then what do you what do you do with that information? You can't compare much. It just becomes so difficult to keep track of all of them. I'm okay with it staying M-A-C-N-P-V-R-N-233. <laughs> <laughs> they might find a match later. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think part of the reason they did it is there are a couple features of it. They do have some pretty well-preserved vertebrae that they could name a new species because they can tell that it has some differences from other named species. But if somebody found a really complete titanosaur, odds are they would just use that name anyway because a lot of times if you don't have enough criteria or diagnostic features in your fossil, it ends up not standing up anyway. So I guess they just cut out the middleman and figured this isn't going to hold up. Let's just not even bother naming it. And I like that. (laughs) Next, thanks to Brendan, who shared this one with us via Facebook. Science Go released an episode about dinosaur marks found near Denver that may be evidence of ritual marks. There's 3D rendering made with photogrammetry that helped put these marks into focus because before they just looked like, you know, it was hard to tell, little scratch marks in the ground. So Martin Lockley, a paleontologist, said that it looks like nesting behavior like birds, because when birds do it, it's part of a courting ritual. They're showing off this nest that they're building. And puffins and plovers and others do this. Yeah, we've talked about it a little bit before. They usually call them scrape marks, Mm -hmm. and they kind of dance around with their feet scratching at the ground. Yeah, just think about that exhibit in, uh, I think it was the Netherlands. Yeah, I think so, where you kind of dance. Dance like, like a, a dance off yeah. between two people and then like a fake or a digital T-Rex chose between the two people dancing. Yeah. was dancing better. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that it was so close to Denver because I think it said it was only like 15 miles outside of Denver. Mm-hmm. I know there were a few different sites in Colorado where they found them But the ones I was thinking of were like pretty far in the boonies. So it's cool that there's one so close. You could probably go visit if you're in the area. Yep. And we've got some tyrannosaurid theropods from a formation in Mexico for the first time. I should say from a specific formation. And this formation is the Cabullona Basin in Sonora, Mexico. And that's just south of the border with Arizona. It's about 100 miles southeast of Tucson. And they're expected to be about 72 million years old. So you're getting into that time frame when tyrannosaurs were getting pretty big, which I and most people like. (laughs) (laughs) The pieces range from 37 to 82 millimeters long, one and a half to 3.2 inches long. And they're all teeth. You might be able to guess from that size. They're all missing the root of the teeth. And the shortest one is also missing the pointy tip of the tooth, but still a 3.2 inch long tooth is pretty big. That's getting towards the upper end of Tyrannosaur teeth because I think what maybe 8 inches was about as big as they got, and most of that is root. So yeah, you're getting, getting to pretty big Tyrannosaur teeth, and they have that kind of characteristic T-Rex banana shape to them where... It's so thick. It's not like a knife. It's like a huge bone crushing. I think it's funny when it's described as banana shape, but it's bone crushing. (laughs) Yeah, I really like that. And I think these are actually more banana shaped than T-Rex teeth 
because T-Rex teeth are actually relatively straight. They have the one curved side, mm-hmm. but the other side is pretty straight. It's almost more like a D, whereas these are kind of curved, a little concave on one side, like an actual banana, although really short banana. So I don't know. <laughs> the authors assigned the teeth to Tyrannosauridae, and they think it might be a new species, but they didn't name a new species, much like the... It's a trend. Yeah, I like it. Because it's just teeth, and it's hard to name a species on teeth. Well, there's been issues with that in the past. Yeah. So hopefully they can find more teeth. The authors were hopeful that further excavations in the area might find a bigger, you know, more complete skeleton, basically any bones whatsoever. So that would be cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, let's just get another dozen teeth. Then compare them to bananas. Yep. (laughs) As you do. Moving on. In Beijing and China, police have arrested a man who was accused of stealing dinosaur eggs. So the man's name is Wang, and he's accused of stealing 80 eggs from a collector back in January, along with three other people. So he had visited this collector and pretended to make a purchase and then somehow stole the eggs. And police have found 27 eggs after they arrested Wang on March 4th. And they've also arrested these three accomplices, though it's not clear where the other stolen eggs are. So hopefully they're safe. Yeah, hopefully. It's always good to recover stolen dinosaur fossils. Yeah. Next, the Utah Raptor Project is underway, and they've been posting updates on their website, utahraptorsite.com. One of the latest posts is by Scott Madsen, who shared some photos of the 9-ton block that they're analyzing and some cool details. So one of the latest posts, he said that he may have found a juvenile theropod job, probably Utah Raptor. And they're posting updates pretty regularly, so you should check out the site, see what they're up to. Yeah, I'm excited about what they're going to find in that huge block. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of things. A lot of Utah raptors, probably. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, they already have like a pretty good idea. Is it at least nine Utah raptors, Jeez. different ages, and they think more. Plus some ornithopods, if I'm remembering correctly. Hmm. Now on to some Jurassic World 2 news. This is based on a report from Movie Pilot. So, Spoiler alert. <laughs> yes, spoiler alert. And I know we had one kind of angry <laughs> listener we posted about this on facebook and and they weren't too happy with the, the news not the fact that it was a spoiler just what the yeah what it was about what the plot contains yeah so there's a plot synopsis that has come out quote the adventures at the jurassic world resort and theme park continue as the government has trained dinosaurs to carry weapons and use them for battle purposes end quote which confirms the theory about dinosaurs as weapons and that being a big part of the movie however This is not an official description. It actually comes from a site called Production Weekly, but apparently Production Weekly has been pretty accurate about movie predictions, so hard to say. We won't know for sure until another, what, year and a half from now? (laughs) Hmm. Anyway, now it seems that the idea of dinosaurs as weapons will be a larger threat in the movie, and dinosaurs could definitely end up around the globe. So I like the idea about the globe, but then uh, the person who reacted on our Facebook, didn't like the idea of dinosaurs as weapons. Yeah, yeah, I can see why. It's kind of funny that they said they're going to carry weapons. Like, I'm imagining a Deinonychus running with, like, a chainsaw that's, like, adapted for its arm or something. Well, that reminds <laughs> me of a book I read. I think it was Love in the Time of Dinosaurs. And it's this experimental novel. Actually really well written, but kind of a crazy plot. It's this idea that dinosaurs 
figured out how to use weapons and like yeah t-rex is carrying around like ak-47s mm. and all the, they strap on guns and other stuff to their backs and, and they're fighting people it's pretty interesting <laughs> yeah that's weird <laughs> it was a good book though it seems like since they have all those huge sharp teeth that you wouldn't necessarily need other weapons but why not make it more exciting so nextgeek.com wrote this post about how Walk the Dinosaur is the funniest song of all time. I didn't realize they knew this song, but I must have heard it, and you may have heard it. Queen Latifah sang a version of the song for Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs, and we definitely saw that movie, so we probably heard it in the credits or hmm. something. Anyway, it was originally released by the band Was Not Was in 1987, and according to Geek, it's, quote, a funky little pop song about cavemen painting buffalo, observing their prehistoric landscape, and cheerfully enslaving each other before some vague calamity happens, end quote. And according to the writers, it's a feel-good vibe, but the song's about the horror of nuclear holocaust, which I didn't really get from the lyrics, but maybe? So they, huh. they start off like, like this. I can't remember the tune right now, but it was a night like this 40 million years ago. I lit a cigarette, picked up a monkey skull to go. The sun was spitting fire. The sky was blue as ice. I felt a little tired, so I watched Miami Vice and walked the dinosaur. I walked the dinosaur. What? So, you know, not accurate at all. But I don't understand at all what's going on. But the chorus was uh, pretty catchy actually it was it was open the door get on the floor everybody walk the dinosaur oh i remember that now you remember that yeah so in the music video in this original one it shows women in skimpy cave costumes and they're actually dancing in a way that reminded me of the Bengals walk like an egyptian but they're walking they're walking like, like a dinosaur. dinosaur where they've got their arms up so it looks like a i guess like a sauropod neck or something <laughs> moving <laughs> and they're all walking in a line the song takes a bit of a dark turn at the end. The last round of the chorus switches from everybody walk the dinosaur to everybody kill the dinosaur. <laughs> I don't think that was in the movie. No, probably not. So there's a lot of people who've made covers and remixes of this song. Uh, George Clinton covered it for the Super Mario's Brothers movie in 1993 with new lyrics about Goombas. It's another gem. <laughs> yeah. And apparently there's also a dubstep remix. I didn't listen to that one. Someone also put together a short video of the song to Assassin's Creed where the character looks like he's doing the dinosaur walk because mm. he's kind of crouching. I'm going to have to listen to that song again now. Yeah. Next, thanks to Stuart who shared this one with us via Facebook. Only in Your State wrote a post about an obscure park in Florida called Dinosaur World. The park is in Plant City, which is between Tampa and Orlando, and it has over 200 life-size dinosaur sculptures. And as you can imagine, doesn't get nearly the traffic as uh, Universal or Disney World. <laughs> so these sculptures are polystyrene foam covered in fiberglass, and then that's covered in putty to give it texture, and then they paint over it. Some of the sculptures sit in water features, and others are kind of nested in vegetation to make them seem more lifelike. They also have places to dig for fossils and educational shows and a picnic area, though it says you have to bring your own food. Now we usually do at picnics. I think that's okay. But in a theme park? Yeah. That's even better. You don't have to pay like $9 for your hamburger. True. True. <laughs> in the UK, there were two dinosaurs spotted on the Southwark Bridge crossing the Thames. There's a film crew that followed them. But it's not really clear yet what they were doing. So hopefully we'll see the footage soon. The dinosaurs were the kind of large lifelike costume kind, not like the T-Rex inflatable costumes. But they looked like T-Rexes with some fuzz or feathers that 
actually looks kind of like a mane on them. That's cool. Yeah. They were seeing a bunch of sights around town, apparently. <laughs> Speaking of dinosaur costumes, and last in the news, there's somebody in a dinosaur costume at USC, University of South Carolina, who was caught crowd surfing, which... <laughs> Seems like an awesome idea. So students were celebrating a win over Duke. This was around like 1 a.m. in the morning. And then they were happy enough to lift up the dinosaur. There's a short video and it looks like this person, they know how to have a good time. Yeah. Well, they made it pretty far in the NCAA tournament. So I could see wanting to celebrate. Yeah. Lift up a dinosaur. Walk the dinosaur. Crowd surf the dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a Brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. <laughs> Good for us as scientists. <laughs> mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now on to our dinosaur of the day, Barapasaurus, which was a request from Dinosaur4602 via YouTube. So thanks. The name means big leg lizard, and bara means big, and pa means leg in several Indian languages. It was a sauropod that lived in the early Jurassic in what is now India, and it's one of the earliest known sauropods. The type species is Baraposaurus tagore, and the species name means tagores. The first excavation of Baraposaurus was in the 100th anniversary year of the birth of Rabindranath Tagore, a famous Bengali poet and artist, and the species name is in honor of him. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. I like when things are named after unique anniversaries or just interesting historical figures. Yeah, me too. So it was described in 1975 by Sohan Jain, Cuddy, Roy Chowdhury, and Chatterjee. 
and they found sauropod bones in the Lower Jurassic Coda Formation of India in 1959. They excavated 300 bones in 1961 to 62, and they found... That's a lot. Yeah, it is. And they found at least six individuals, so most of the skeleton is known. It's one of the most complete sauropods from the early Jurassic, but there's no skull bones that are found, which is too bad. That's still really good, though, especially for early Jurassic. Oh, yeah, definitely. But those missing skull bones, (laughs) that's how you get brontosaurus issues. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So because there are at least six specimens that died together, they may have been part of a herd that died from a flood. And then the flood may have moved their bodies, and then when they decomposed, the bones may have disarticulated, and a water stream might have moved the skull bones. When it was described, Barapasaurus was not assigned to a specific sauropod group. Uh, Paleontologists debate about where it belongs, because it was large for an early sauropod, but it had some basal features. It had traits not as well developed that were seen in later sauropods that allowed them to grow so large, such as the long neck and the central neural spines showing the beginnings of being hollowed out to reduce weight. It had elongated cervical vertebrae, which is what gave it its long neck. It was about 59 feet or 18 meters long, which is comparable in size to later sauropods. Yeah, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And it had spoon-shaped teeth like later sauropods, but with coarse serration. There are only three teeth and three crowns found from the skull. The largest tooth was 2.3 inches or 5.8 centimeters tall. That's pretty big for a sauropod tooth. Mm -hmm. So it had slender limbs and other animals in the same time and place include the sauropod Cotosaurus and some mammals. And our fun fact of the day, I'm starting to think our fun fact should be called like our fun hypothesis (laughs) or something to that effect because in science you don't really have facts most of the time. But it's got that alliteration thing going on. So it's snappy. Yeah. Unlike... Uh, Fun hypothesis. Well, that too. But also, what was the name of that titanosaur? M-A-C-N-P-V-R-N-233. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so our fun hypothesis of the day <laughs> is that... Dinosaurs may have developed endothermy, or warm-bloodedness, to fight off fungal infections. I really enjoy this one. So apparently there are an estimated 5 million species of fungus on Earth, but only a few hundred can infect humans. And this is primarily because fungus won't grow at the higher body temperatures that mammals and birds live at. So that kind of makes us naturally resistant to fungus. On the other hand... Fungus can thrive in ectotherms, or cold-blooded animals. In fact, a recent paper showed that fungus is expected to have driven about 200 frog species to extinction. Oh, no. Which is crazy. Like, I can't imagine if 200 mammals were driven to extinction by fungus or something. That's just so much, so much destruction by fungus. So much fungus. Yeah, that's a lot of fungus. Well, 5 million species, too. There were some estimates that were like, oh, maybe there's only 1.5 million species of fungus. It's still a lot of fungus. But since dinosaurs and mammals are both warm-blooded, we're basically naturally resistant to fungus. And it might just be a happy coincidence that our endothermy leads to higher growth rates, longer active periods, and the ability to inhabit basically the entire planet. (laughs) So, pretty cool. It's weird to think that the driving force behind endothermy might just be like not being killed by fungus, but we can eat some fungus too, right? Sure. Yeah, like mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Take that, frogs. 
<laughs> Show a rivalry with frogs. <laughs> no. <laughs> and that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. And if you would like to join our growing community on Patreon, then check out our page at patreon.com slash I Know Dino. Thanks again, and until next time. Goodbye.